welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Andy, Todd, and Tude. Yo, yo, yo. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Andy doesn't like that I stole his yo, yo, yo. This is Dude. It's the Album Nerds Podcast. Andy and Don here with me. Good morning, gentlemen. Hello. Be uh, expecting that royalty check anytime, man. <laughs> I could scrape that up. I think it's probably something in the neighborhood of five cents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that sounds about right. So we are the album nerds. Three guys love the album format, love yapping, love talking about it and sharing albums with each other and with you guys and uh, exploring music. Why don't you tell us about what we're up to this week, Andrew? We let the hands of fate guide the podcast every week. The instrument of fate that we have chosen is the wheel of musical destiny. It is a 14-foot wheel that the dude has lovingly constructed in a barn he's built outside his house. Is that right? All these details, correct? (laughs) Yes, the details are uh, inflated every week. Well, the wheel gets bigger every week because the show is just blowing up. Yes, I actually am going to have to hire some Amish gentlemen to help me with the wheel raising uh, next time because it's gotten so big. <laughs> the raising of the wheel, as we call yes. it. Yes. So, we, yeah, we um, rose the wheel up last week and gave that old girl a spin, and it landed on a space covered in feces and $20 bottles of water. It lit on fire. And, yes, singed. That just simply read Woodstock 99. We are presenting albums from artists who performed uh, at Woodstock 99. Uh, Woodstock 99 was uh, in, is infamous the, the right word? I think so. Infamous. I mean, that means more than famous, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, uh, an infamous <laughs> music festival uh, which commemorated the 30th anniversary of the, the legendary Woodstock Music and Arts Festival. Uh, like the previous Woodstocks, it, it featured many of the day's biggest artists, uh, but has become known for, for difficult environmental conditions, violence, sexual assault, looting, vandalism, and fires. <laughs> so... Pretty much all the values that the original Woodstock embodied. I mean, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that's kind of the kooky part of it is it's just the complete opposite of what 1969's Woodstock was meant to be. So that's why it's so fascinating now, all these years later. We're each uh, presenting a, an album from an artist that that performed at, at Woodstock '99, uh, and then you know we've got our our question of the week. And we'll, we'll spin that wheel of musical destiny uh, again. I also want to shout out to our Discord user, Finger of Doom, uh, who won that Roxy Music uh, debut album on vinyl. So, uh, again, we'll have more chances to, to win stuff uh, in, in future episodes. You choo-choo-choose me? All right, so for my Woodstock 99 artist selection I went with the band that I most remembered from the event that is Metallica not a huge Metallica fan but I do love me some master of puppets their 1986 record came back came out in March of that year it's their third studio album for the Los Angeles four piece it was their first album with the Electra label 
we are going to play a little cut from the title track right about now. Yeah, so this album was a considered a pretty big breakthrough at the time for the band. It really kind of coalesced all the the thrash sounds that they were kind of innovating and, and creating on their first two records. Uh, it sold over six million copies in the U.S. and uh, was the first metal album selected by the Library of Congress for preservation, which I thought was pretty cool. One little side note: uh, after recording this album, and they were on tour for it, bassist Cliff Burton was killed in a bus crash from their tour bus, went off the side of the road. Unfortunately, he passed away in the accident. So that is kind of wrapped up in kind of the, the history of this record. Yeah, it kind of, uh, I mean, I'm a huge Metallica fan, so I'm happy we have this here and I didn't have to pick it. I didn't have to burn a Metallica pick on this one. <laughs> uh, but that that event did change their trajectory of the band for Injustice for All and, and the albums to come after. I mean, who knows if there would have been a Black album if if Cliff had had uh, stayed with us. But he did, I mean, his his uh, bass style is all over this album and, and all of the first three albums. He is missed. His his style is missed from from albums in the future, so much so that Metallica kind of kept their new bassist, Jason Newstead, they kept his bass playing kind of down in the mix in future albums, I think, partially just because uh, I imagine the emotional scars were there. They just weren't mature enough to let them manifest in a healthy way. Right, right. I know it's hard to kind of articulate, um, you know, the differences in, in playing, but um, what, what do you, what is the difference? To me, Cliff's, and we had talked on a previous show about Kill 'Em All, and we did talk a lot about his bass playing. It sounds more, God, how do you say this? It's not like classical music, but it feels, Andy, you know what I'm talking about. How do we say this? I know he had a he had a background in classical music, right? Yeah, is it more melodic? Yes. Okay, let's let's Cliff's bass playing <laughs> Cliff's bass playing was it, it was a little more melodic. <laughs> yeah, so the three uh words that come for this record were powerful, precise, and in my opinion, perfect. I think this is like just such a great representation of not just thrash metal, but just metal in general, kind of at its highest form here. They have a lot of a lot of aggression on the record, obviously. The first handful of tracks really kind of smack you over the head. But they get into some really kind of intricate, really interesting musical moments later on in the record. There's some pretty cool instrumental passages. And they really kind of show off like they've become pretty decent musicians at this point in their career. And for me, I always kind of consider this like the apex of Metallica. They would get into some different spaces in the 90s, which I think, unfortunately, a lot of their Woodstock performance in 99 encapsulated more of that 90s Metallica sound. But the songs I remember most from that performance were the tracks from this record, which I think really brought the brought the goods. What's what's your guys' history with this this album? Had you heard it before? You know, I, I've heard it quite a quite a bit, uh, and I dude used to introduce me to, to a lot of Metallica. But I, I do regret that. 
you know, when this was going on, I, I think I was in junior high when Injustice for All came out. So that's really when Metallica was, was exploding. Uh, and, you know, just because of the, I don't know, the scene and, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I wasn't a headbanger. I was a prep or, or whatever. So I, unfortunately, like I, I wasted a lot of time not listening to Metallica, uh, because, <laughs> and, and it, <laughs> they're agree. so good, you know, and, and so now I, I enjoyed listening to Master Puppets so much. I also regret not getting into Metallica sooner. I got into them probably in the Black Album era and I was, you know, late teens, early twenties. I, my cousin had some early heavy metal stuff, Metallica included, and it was that hesitancy to get into something that felt a little uncomfortable. The farthest I would go was Motley Crue and Twisted Sister at that time. <laughs> yeah, Metallica was intimidating. I remember being a youngster when this came out, um, but seeing a lot of the t-shirts on kids on the bus with like, you know, Ride the Light and stuff, I'd be like, what is this about? Electrocuting people and uh, <laughs> murder? And- well, the, the shirt I remember most, I think I mentioned on our previous show about Kill Em All, was the original name of that album. They wanted it to be Metal Up Your Ass. And there was there were t-shirts with this arm coming out of a toilet with a knife in its hand. Oh my God. <laughs> I would see kids wearing on the bus. I remember the, sh- really? the shirt. Uh, I, I must've been for ride the lightning or something, but on the back it said fade to black. And so the, the font would be faded. Cool. Yeah. They had the best t-shirts. Definitely best t-shirts in the game at this point. Yeah. Well, so getting back to this record a little bit. Um, the one thing I like about this record so much, it, it does feel like an album, very, very much a cohesive whole. It's really on point with the themes. I mean, the album art, I think, perfectly encapsulates, encapsulates what this album is about. It's, you know, people kind of being controlled by other people, uh, kind of this thirst for power and the people who have it, kind of what they do to ruin the lives of people that they want to control. Uh, and that's mostly done or talked about on the record through like politics and mil- the military and religion. Why don't we play a little cut from one of the other more aggressive tracks on this record? Uh, this is the opening cut battery. Yeah, I think they closed, if I remember their set, if I remember their set clearly, I'm pretty sure they closed out with that song. It's like their last encore. And it was it was pretty raucous in the crowd for that one. I, was, I remember feeling a little bit uh, concerned for my safety <laughs> more than a couple times during that song. Anything else you guys want to say about this record? Uh, the guitar work is is uh, seems pretty good. <laughs> it's, <amazing. laughs> it's some of the most intricate guitar work I've heard in any heavy metal album the talent of kurt hammett and james hetfield working those guitars together cliff space and of course lars on the drums it's just perfect i mean uh as i mentioned earlier i came to metallica a little later this is probably my favorite metallica album now that i've been able to really absorb the entire catalog the songs are just perfect compositions the way that they flow and they build and they come back down they crash down and they build back up again these songs are incredible a battery master of puppets a thing that should not be welcome home sanitarium disposable heroes leper messiah orion damage inc that's the whole album they were i had to mention every song because they're all freaking awesome yeah what, what else can you say well i think i think that was kind of the goal of this record was the first few records were did have that raw energy to them and I know they really took the time in the studio to get these like perfectly recorded and captured 
Um, actually, why don't we play a cut from one of those more instrumental tracks that has that pristine quality to it and features some of those transitions that you just mentioned. It's the taste of Orion. Yeah, a little some of that melody the dude was alluding to earlier. Yeah, actually that really impressed me going back to this record. Didn't think of them as the, having that in the repertoire at this point, but they they really did. I worked for a, a rock radio station for a little while, and we played so much Metallica. So you know, I know all the the known songs quite well, uh, but still, it's 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 really a pleasure listening to an entire album. Uh, you know, because that's I mean, it it is a concept album. I, I would say, yeah, it's just a. Uh, it's a thrash metal journey, I guess. But also, you know, we just listened to Judas Priest a few weeks ago. And, you know, you definitely, I definitely hear the Judas Priest in, in Metallica. Andy is shaking his head. <laughs> I cannot, yeah, I cannot connect those two in my mind. But really? no, I, not that I'm saying that you're wrong. I'm sure you're probably right. But I enjoy this so much more. <laughs> the found, but it's the foundation. Those bands like Metallica were built on the foundation of bands like Judas Priest and Iron Maiden and things like that. That's what inspired them to get into music and become musicians. They just took it to the next step. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> and there's the, get with the priest. There's the guitar mini too. Yeah, guitar mini. Well, that is true. All right. So Master Puppets Metallica. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Check it out. Excuse me. I'd like to ask you a few questions. And now for the time-honored tradition of asking ourselves some questions. Or a question. What do you remember most about the Woodstock 99 event? Now, Andy, you were there, so you will probably have the most interesting answer. Well, the Metallica performance, I think, was the best that I saw at the at the show. What I remember most, though, is fearing for my life during the Rage Against the Machine performance. I think came up after this, I want to say. Because shit got pretty crazy during that. There was fires and just uh, people acting like like Lord of the Flies was how I would describe it. Just total chaos and anarchy. People, people were exhausted and out of money and a lot of drugs and drinking. And it just kind of came to a head during their, their performance, which was also good. But I was very much concerned for my, my well-being at that point. Nothing positive, like uh, meeting someone special, feeling that first bit of freedom since you probably were naked the whole time <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh, no there wasn't anything positive really wow. wow see now that that that's that's right there what we were alluding to at the beginning of the show woodstock 69 was a cultural touchstone that people from that generation in particular still call back to of man woodstock you know peace love like it it was supposed to just be a happening and it became a phenomenon they tried to make a phenomenon which doesn't work it was not a good experience <laughs> now what about what about you don you were in the area at that time right yeah. in the yeah i i lived only an hour away and i was just you know finishing up college around that time i remember just being disappointed that there was nothing there to there, there was nothing drawing me to it you know i I wasn't really excited about any of the artists. I mean, sure, you know, I would have been happy to, to see some of the bands and Elvis Costello and stuff like that. But, you know, it, for somebody who, whom the, 
the festival was probably targeting, you know, they, they there was just nothing for me for me there. Well, you had a good taste back then. Well, <laughs> well that's I, I mean, I had some good taste, but, uh, you know, I was also I was probably a, a bit of a snob uh, and I but I also didn't really know what I was talking about either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <So>. My, <laughs> my answer is very similar is my the thing I remember most is not having any interest in going. I was not the target of this stuff anymore. I was getting to the age where I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I, it was the first time I thought I'm not a young person anymore. I mean, I was still in my 20s, but I just felt left out. It was weird. So that's what I remember most about it. I don't even remember the fallout from it. Most of that came out years later. I mean, other than the fire thing, but the details like in some of those documentaries and stuff that exist now. So yeah, very weird. It's, um, I wonder, there must be people that had a great time and, and have wonderful memories. So to that end, what's your answer? What do you remember most about Woodstock 99? Hit us up on the socials, go to Discord, join our community. Tell us, what are your good, great memories? Defend this thing, because I'm sure someone fell in love and got married from Woodstock 99. <laughs> so when I when I do picture Woodstock 99, I, I think of artists like, like Limp Bizkit, and Rage Against the Machine, even DMX, maybe. Uh, instead, for my pick, I actually chose somebody that I, I think you wouldn't associate with with Woodstock '99 uh, at all. And in fact, uh, I didn't know he performed uh, at Woodstock '99 until I was was going through the the list. Uh, but yeah, my pick for for this week is is Bruce Hornsby and the Range, the way it is, uh, which uh, was was released in April uh, of 1986. Uh, Hornsby performed performed uh, on the west stage on saturday night uh let's let's start by by playing the the title track the, the one that that everybody knows this is the way it is you just imagine all the bottles being thrown during that performance <laughs> <laughs> i kind of wish i had seen yeah. that because that must have been something that crowd <laughs> Well, there was a, at the time, and I remember being surprised by this, working in a record store, Bruce Hornsby had this resurgence. I mean, this was from the early 80s, mid-80s, this like jam band resurgence. So people that were buying Dave Matthews albums were buying Bruce Hornsby. I remember asking customers, like, Bruce Hornsby, they're like, oh, yeah, he really jams. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so that I think that's probably why he was there. Yeah, that's, that's true. He was actually... Uh Really, a, a full-time member of uh, of the Grateful Dead uh, when they were touring, you know, before uh, Garcia's death, and he's performed with all the the various spinoffs of of the Dead since, you know, the other ones and uh, Phil Lesh and Friends and Rat Dog and 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 all that. He's basically left the confines of the rock band uh, and moved kind of more improvisational and and jazzy. For my three words, I said uh, rural for the rich, which is actually four words. And so what I mean by that is that this album does kind of capture a a rural feel, right? But it's not rural in the in the way that like the Carter family is or or bluegrass, right? It, it's not 
it's not white trash. <laughs> Sorry. Right. Um, but <laughs> I, I actually, I, I picture Bruce Hornsby or, or some, some wealthy white guy, um, kind of walking around his thousand acres, a thousand acre right. ranch that he purchased <laughs> with his $2,000 purebred dog. Um, right. and, and while he's playing polo, yes. he's observing. The <laughs> 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 this music sounds like being in a, maybe a, a bus, but it could be a luxury bus, right? <laughs> but just seeing middle America kind of, you know, it, it kind of touched on that, that same vein as Bruce Springsteen and John Mellencamp and stuff that, but it was, it was as those, as the boomers were getting a little older, it was a little softer, a little more new age sounding. So it kind of had elements of, of that stuff, but then in this sort of, freshly packaged adult contemporary way yeah so it's an interesting combination i think it's that piano sound that really for me like kind of cements it in that adult contemporary sound i wonder what it would sound like without that because i i love the composition and the lyrics i think are fantastic yeah it's just that that kind of new age sound like you said dude like i don't know i just think of sitting in a waiting room for some reason you know like but it's, it's a it's a pleasant listen uh, why don't we listen to uh, this is probably maybe the, the second most known song uh, on the album uh, Every, Every Little Kiss so yeah I just wanted to, to give you a, a, a sample of, of Hornsby's piano playing there uh, I, I get the sense he's held back a, a little bit uh, on this album um, but he you know has little little flourishes like that that are that are mixed in Hornsby has a signature sound, I think. Around this time period, he was showing up uh, on a lot of people's albums. When you hear a song with him on it, you know, you know, it's him. So, for example, uh, Don Henley's The End of the Innocence, that, that piano line, that is, that's, that's Bruce Hornsby, right? You recognize it right away. Well, I think it's probably the most important thing is that Huey Lewis championed. Oh, of course. Bruce Hornsby. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that's more important. Yeah, that's right. Huey, yeah. Huey Lewis performed on, on one of them playing harmonica and, and doing some some vocals. Uh, and yeah, I believe he co-produced uh, three of the tracks uh, on the album. This was Hornsby's, their de- technically his debut record, right? Yes. Like he was, he'd been around forever, but hadn't really put out something of his own. Yeah, that's correct. This is this is his, his debut. This album, <laughs> I'll say it this way, it, it just kind of, it reeks of... 80s rock production why don't we just play a quick clip of uh, the beginning of the wild frontier oh yeah yeah those drums you know even legacy acts in the 80s like like eric clapton and maybe even you know bob dylan uh just everybody just kind of sounded like this right it just so clean, uh, well produced, uh, overproduced, I, I would say. Um, and it's a shame. Uh, if you go back and, and listen to some live performances of Bruce Hornsby in the range, um, it's, it's so much better. You know, there's just more, more soul to it. Um, and I don't know what, what got into people, uh, in the eighties. Um, you know, because I, I really think they, they took some of the, the soul out of, out of rock and roll. I think it was the, the temptation of the tools, right? The tools are starting to really improve. You're getting beyond your four-track, eight-track tape stuff. Digital was starting to come into play. 
synthesizers and and gigantic computers that we can now make sounds on our iPhones that are better than that. But it was the the toys, the tools, the uh, the opportunity to play with this stuff. And then because everyone was playing with it at the same time, the sound looking back now is kind of homogenous. But it, it probably didn't feel like that at the time to people listening or to the artists. Did either of you guys by chance listen to his set from Woodstock 99? I tr- I found what I could, yes. Yep. How did it sound in comparison? Is it is it more of a jam band style or is it more kind of like this uh, self-rock? I think the way it is is the only song from this album he performed. Uh, and there was a, a pretty big improvisation even before like the 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 main part of the, the song began. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so... I mean, I think this is uh, this is a fine album. I, I think it captures what it's uh, what it's supposed to capture. Um, but I, I think it's I think Bruce Bruce Hornsby is a, an, an interesting musician to to explore because um, he has uh, he has grown a lot. Yeah, I think his his more recent stuff uh, again is is more uh, improvisational and and, and jazzy. Uh, and I think there's there, there's a lot. Uh, you know, to, to explore with, with him. This album, it blazed a trail for this type of music. I mean, it was, it, this is totally enjoyable, but kind of opening the, that whole new age movement and then blending it with pop sensibility and music and little bit of rootsy stuff. It, I think it's a, it's a nice sound and, and it does, it is a total time capsule of that time. So whether that's good or bad is, is up to you you know, as a listener, but it feels like 1986. It does. 100%. Yeah. Which yeah. was a year I enjoyed, <laughs> but I don't know about others. Um, and I, I have neglected to, to talk about the, some of the lyrical content. Um, you know, so there is kind of some socially conscious uh, stuff going on there, which which I guess is, is admirable. I never really realized what the way it is was about until just looking it up recently, it's actually pretty, you know, for the 80s, I thought that was pretty, uh, pretty cool message to hear in such a mainstream song. It gets into some like civil rights activism, I guess I would say. And the whole record is kind of along those lines. It's pretty, I mean, it's, it's admirable. Okay, so that was Bruce Hornsby and the range with The Way It Is. And now, a word from our sponsor, us. This is friendship. Pure, unadulterated friendship. Oh, yeah. Hey there, music fans. Looking for a place to hang out with all the cool kids? We got you covered. Check out the Album Nerds Discord, albumnerds.com slash discord. It's the cool new spot where all the cool kids are talking about cool things. <laughs> Sounds pretty cool, Andy. Anything else cool going on on this cool Discord you're talking about? Well, you know, we talk about albums, of course, what we're listening to, what's good, what's not. But let's talk about other stuff just in the news and uh, movies and TV and whatever else suits our fancy. Yeah, bottom line, everybody, come join it. Tell us the albums that you're listening to. Share with us. We share with you all the time on the show. It's your turn to give back. Get on the Discord. <laughs> and you can meet Finger of Doom. Yeah. <laughs> Hear how that Roxy music album, how he's enjoying that. All right, so that's the Album Nerds Discord, albumnerds.com slash Discord. Join today. It's free. My pick, The Tragically Hip, Canada's Favorite Sons. Uh, the album is up to here from September of 1989. So the three words I would use to describe this album are poetic, evolving, and loved, because people love this band. 
So let's uh, listen to a little bit of New Orleans is sinking to get this thing started. All right, so that was the tragically hip with the track New Orleans is sinking from the 1989 debut album up to here, gentlemen. Let's just start off with your thoughts on the tragically hip before we get going on the details. I'm a bit of a of a hip head myself. Uh, enjoy a lot of their material. They have a pretty good sized discography. I had not heard this one before, though. Yeah, I like them. I think we've talked about maybe one or two of the records before on the show. Uh, Gord Downey, the the lead singer. So the, the band started in 84. They've been together a long time. He, he passed away in 2017. That's when we talked about them briefly on the show. But they were treated like Canadian royalty as they should have been. Don, what are your thoughts on on the hip? Well, I I love this album. Uh, I mean, I could I could listen to it all day. I mean, it's it's really it, it's great. I guess I, at the risk of uh, offending our listeners north of the the border, I guess it's not a criticism, but well, maybe it is. Right. Well, I'll, I'll do it this way. You know, we we heard a, a few seconds of of Metallica, and you knew it was Metallica. Right. You heard a few seconds of Bruce Hornsby and you knew it was Bruce Hornsby. I don't know. If you play me 10 seconds of, of the hip, it could be anybody or not anybody, but I mean, it could be any number of, of rock bands. Um, and it's not really a crit. I mean, they're, they're good at what they do, but I, I don't really hear a, a signature sound. That's what we call a hip check right there, Don. Them's fighting words. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's a really good point, man. I, I wrote that down in my notes too. Like they don't really have like anything unique or special about them. I think it's just like how quality the parts are that they have. Yeah, they're they're great. So it's like they're they're advancing the cause of rock and roll, but I'm not sure that they're adding to it. Mm. So I would say they're a gr- wow. I, I'd say they're a great band, but I guess what would stop me from putting them in like a elite status or on a Mount Rushmore or something is just that, that, that there's not like a, a signature sound. And I feel the same way uh, about like the black crows, even, even like the Foo Fighters, you know, same kind of thing. It's, it's great rock and roll. I could, I could listen to it all day, but it, I, I don't know. I, I don't recognize the Foo Fighters, but you know, from a, a, a 10 second clip and maybe that's not a fair standard, but yeah. Damn. I think the dude just quit. Is that what I yeah. just heard? Don's laying it <laughs> down today. And let me t- and let me talk to you about Pearl Jam. Yeah. So uh, let's just take a minute here and uh, apologize to the fans of those bands. All those bands are are uh, Foo Fighters and Black Crows and and uh, Tragically Hip. I I enjoy all of those. Rest in peace, Taylor Hawkins. Because of Don's hot take attack, personal attack on dude, uh, we're going to have to just, we're just going to have to let that go and move on, right? <laughs> we'll get him back some other time. <laughs> Cure sucks. <laughs> the Tragically Hip, yikes. <laughs> they did, they played at the, on the East Stage on Saturday, the 24th of July uh, at Woodstock 99. And Gord had that really special way of performing, special way of moving bringing these songs to life. So, I mean, I hear what you guys are saying, but I, I disagree. First of all, I've seen them live, not at Woodstock, but I saw them in a theater. Uh, they were awesome. I hadn't heard of them, and my friend was a huge fan, and he made me go, and it was great. It was about 95 or 6. When I've been driving through Canada, 
and God bless them up in Canada. You guys have rock radio still. <laughs> Yay. And I will hear us. I don't know their catalog that well. I mean, I know a few of their albums. I enjoy them. That's why I wanted to bring them up today. But if I hear a song start, I know it's the hip as soon as I hear it, even if I've never heard it before. I think it's mostly his voice. So I disagree on that point. But this particular album was at their start. It was bluesy and bar bandy and uh, there's some urgency in it. Uh, and the lyrics, lyrically very advanced, I think, for this type, this style of music. And as they went on, they did develop a sound. I mean, like on the album Day for uh, Day for Night, I think they do have their own twist on on rock and roll. Uh, as an example of the lyrical content, let's listen to a little bit of Thirty Eight Years Old from Up to Here and get a little sense of what Gord was doing with the lyrics. See my sister got it right. So this is a favorite of hip fans. Uh, 38 Years Old is a fictional tale of a prison break. And in the, in the song, Gord mentions my brother Mike and his sister. So people have thought this might be based on a true story. So they stopped playing it live for a while. But it's the story of a prison break. In, in the story, this guy Mike, his sister got raped. He murdered the guy that did it and he went to jail at age 18 so 38 years old is about 20 years later he escapes from prison and goes home and the lyric 38 years old never kissed a girl he lost his life to this whole thing that's some pretty heavy shit for for a 1989 debut rock record yeah i think that's why i mean it's my opinion why they always get compared to rem because they have these like such deep lyrical stories or themes where you really feel like you're if you don't do some research on the song. You feel like you're probably missing out on on what's being conveyed. Uh, I think that's awesome. And, and I think they only got more poetic and more lyrically dense as their career went on. And that was a pretty pretty impressive start. This was like also, I guess, technically their debut full-length record. Yeah, they had an EP before that. Uh, yeah, even in New Orleans is sinking. I mean, that was about the party atmosphere of New Orleans and just the line New Orleans is sinking. There's always, there's been this story out there. I don't know if it's true or not that... The, like geographically that new orleans itself is slowly like millimeter yeah, by millimeter sinking and so using that and then kind of how you sink into this party atmosphere and lose yourself i think that's just a little they took they went a little further than they had to oh and also uh back to 38 years old at the beginning when they talk about the cops they say the mounties which is nice. really <laughs> that's awesome that's how you know they're from canada <laughs> yes you do I thought it was interesting to hear at least a couple of tracks on here have more of like a country vibe to them, a little bit of twang, which I didn't hear so much later in their career. I thought it was kind of kind of cool. That's an interesting point, Andy, and I just so happen to have the track Boots or Hearts ready to go that illustrates that point. That's one of the favorite lines of hip fans based on my experience at that show, the fingers and toes. Fingers and toes, fingers and toes, things that we all share because we've got 40 of them, right, total, our fingers and toes. And then the 41st thing is that we don't care. Like, I just think that kind of wordplay is fun, you know? <laughs> Wait, don't we have 20? Between two people, I think. Oh, so. okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don's like, what? what are you talking about? <laughs> 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 I 
but uh yeah the 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 fandom of this band and, and i i've never been super into them that this this period where we can now stream things has really opened that up where i can go enjoy some of their discography but at the time i had my friend vic was just like gotta listen to this and i was like eh I liked it, but I, I did call them the Canadian REM at the time. Yeah, I really hate that label. I feel like that's not fair to them at all. Well, it was dismissive. It wasn't fair, and I wasn't giving it a true listen because I was so consumed with grunge at the time and the things that I liked that if it didn't sound like that, then it wasn't. It was like boring. But the show, Gord in particular, that energy was he was awesome. I mean, they were awesome, and I I at least had appreciation for it after I saw them live. I was just too resistant, and I, I regret that. And so I encourage people out there, don't do that. Leave yourself open. To, you have all the music in the world at your fingertips now. Go listen to it and try to embrace it, because you'll miss out on stuff if you're too busy with your own little world of music and specific genres. So, yeah. So I, I'm not going to be able to stop the flood of hate mail that's going to come in from from hip fans but i mean i just want to say i mean i i love this i i think it's great and i regret not seeing the tragically hip you know when when i could have i mean i love all of this you know it's 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 so good and you know i'm, I'm definitely gonna you know uh explore the the rest of their their catalog yeah they put a lot of good stuff man i wish i had been a little bit more aware of them in the night in the nineties, I would have it probably would have been a great show, way better than a lot of the crap that I saw at Woodstock '99. So yeah, I mean, go check this album out. They have thirteen studio albums. You could start with the EP, but this is a great place to start. Especially, it's a nice entry on that bluesy side. And then as they grow with their albums, so do the the poetic elements and the sounds they're using and the style. But uh, they're a really solid band. I think didn't get their due here in America. They should have, you know, they didn't have to be huge but they should have been at least gin blossoms level you know <laughs> right please do go check out the tragically hip up to here fellow nerds what did we learn today i don't know what did we learn from woodstock 99 i don't know to me i just i just reeks of corporate greed this whole thing <laughs> <laughs> fortunately we had some good music here represented um so i'm thankful for that but Looking back on the, that event, reap what you sow, and I think that uh, that whole thing was just kind of built on this corporate greed and like uh, commercialism. I think it, it was it was destined to fail. I mean, lots of people have explored why this is, you know, why this was was different, and I, I think part of it was just, you know, in 1969. I mean, rock and roll was still not even 20 years old, so I mean, rock and roll was still a kind of a, a countercultural thing, right? It was something that was still just the exclusive domain of, of the young. Um, and once you get to, you know, 30 years later, I mean, rock and roll is the, the standard thing. And so, I mean, you're not rebelling against anything anymore. I, I don't know. <laughs> it was kind of the antithesis in that it was about pay-per-views and ticket dollars and, and all that kind of stuff. What I did learn, though, is... I didn't know how many bands played at this thing. I didn't know the depth. That's why we dug out the Tragically Hip and dug out Bruce Hornsby and dug out this Metallica, I think you said it was called, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was just the presentation and the way this one giant stage with all these people. I don't think you got an opportunity to really enjoy those those things. And uh, that's one to grow up. <laughs> I mean, your density. I mean, your 
destiny. All right, gather up the Amish here, and we'll uh, get the the oxen out and bring out the wheel of oh, good God. musical destiny. I'm pretty sh- I'm pretty sure there's no Amish listeners to offend. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> if they're doing it right. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> and that's that's what they're spending their time doing on Rumspring. I can do whatever. I'll listen to the Album Nerds podcast. <laughs> right. One and done. These would be bands that had one album. Okay, should be interesting. Okay, what do you remember from from Woodstock '99? What's your favorite one and done artist? What else are you listening to? Let us know. Join fellow album nerds on Discord at albumnerds.com/discord. You can email us at podcasts at albumnerds.com or leave a voicemail at five eight five two one zero two four five four. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at albumnerds. And if you'd like to support the show, do so via PayPal at albumnerds.com/support or leave a review on. Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. All right, so thanks for listening to the Album Nerds Podcast. See you next time with some one and done albums. Thanks for listening. Like a chump. Hey. <laughs> will, will people get that reference? Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I got it's, it. It's Limp Biscuit. Okay. <laughs> I could do, you want me to do it? It's all about the he said, she said bullshit. <laughs> Everybody sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I think good, we're going to go with everybody sucks. <laughs> <laughs>